0: Well, find in your Bible with me again this morning, the New Testament book of First Peter and chapter 2, and just hold your place there for a moment, First Peter and chapter 2. And while you're doing that, uh, I, I want to say, good job, Jane. Don't you appreciate Miss Jane's ministry <laughs> message or, or children's moment? Yeah. But also to a group of unsung servants that... Uh, Uh, serve on Sunday mornings, and behind the scenes often. That's our worship care servants and our kids' own worship servants. Uh, They are back there blessing kids, teaching kids, hugging and holding kids so uh, parents can participate in worship corporately in here. And while they probably can't hear you, let them know how much you appreciate them. Yeah. And we certainly... We certainly... I certainly do. Appreciate them. And for all of them and all of you and Miss Jane and everyone, thank you for your heart for kids, for children and children's ministry. Thank you for that. Appreciate all your service to the Lord that way. Psychologists and sociologists uh, constantly study the way people handle priorities. And there's a fact of human nature, and that fact is pretty simple, that we tend to get on autopilot with our priorities. I mean, In fact, psychologists tell us that very few people actually assess their priorities over time. Very few of us sit down, whether on a weekly, monthly, yearly, or especially a daily basis, and actually look at our lives and say, what are my priorities? How should I be applying the time that I have and the resources I have? No, they say most people don't do that, may not ever do it. Most of us just get into autopilot, live our lives, and hope things work out pretty good. They said, that's human nature. But then when the pandemic hit, they noticed a difference. As they consistently and continually asked people questions about priorities, they found that suddenly, during the struggles of the pandemic, people were assessing their priorities. And they said what was extraordinary was one new thing that came about coming out of the pandemic is 61% of Americans now say luxury items are not a priority. Coming into the pandemic, they're like, yeah, I want to buy that. I want to buy that. I'll go into debt for that. But now they're like, not so much. They have different priorities coming out of the pandemic. But the question is, will those priorities hold long term? That's really the question. I mean, once you assess your priorities and you look at them and you say, maybe I should make some changes. Well, the question is, are you going to drift back into autopilot or are you going to proactively make real change moving forward? With your priorities. And spiritual priorities are no different. In fact, the Bible calls on us to regularly assess and evaluate our spiritual priorities. Or to be more specific, your walk with Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, your number one priority is your walk with Christ. That's your priority. That's how you live your life. That's how you make decisions. You go to the Word of God. You're in prayer. You you assess your priorities based not on what the world's doing or what the family's doing or even what you want to do. You assess your priorities by your walk with Christ. You're a Christ follower now if you're a Christian. As we return to the book of 1 Peter this morning, uh, we're finding Peter making a, 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 a turning point in the letter. Uh, after this morning, what we're going to see is him talk about practicing the Christian life. He'll talk about Christians in government, Christians in family, Christians in spouses. He'll talk especially about Christians interacting in a secular culture. And in chapter 3, we come upon one of the most famous verses uh, in, in all of the writings of Peter. And that, and that verse is to be, to be ready to give a hope, to give a reason, excuse me, for the hope that you have. Be able to talk to people about what you believe. But he's got to get there first. And and the verses we're going to read this morning are that pivot point. And in this pivot point, Peter is going to focus in on the priorities. You remember last week, uh, he reminded us who we are. We are the church. We are the people of God. Church is not what you attend. Church is who you are. And as he writes to these believers in the first century, believers who have been displaced by persecution, being, been run out of their homes, run out of their villages, uh, that now they're living in Asia Minor, far from where they started out their lives or, or came to Christ. And he's writing to them, uh, he's reminding them again, they are the people of God, they are the church. And as the people of God, they have, and you, you and I have, specific priorities. If we're going to be able to apply the word of God in our relationship with Christ, In areas like interacting with government, interacting with your spouse, living for Christ day by day, how you behave on the job, how you behave at school. If we're going to make those applications, we've got to start out looking at our priorities. And as we're going to see this morning, Peter says there are three areas that every Christian all the time, not just once or twice, but all the time need to pay attention to. And as we read this text, bear that in mind. He's not saying, hey, I'd like you to look at this tomorrow and then then you don't need to worry about it anymore. Now, he says these are three ongoing areas, three priorities to pay attention to in the Christian life and in your walk with Christ. Your number one, number one, is your walk with Christ. These three go along with that. Three areas to pay attention to in your walk with Christ. Autopilot is not a choice for the Christian. It's not. You don't get to say, oh, well, I'll walk the aisle And I trusted Christ, and I got baptized, and now it really doesn't matter what I'll do. I'll I'll blink in and out of church when the mood strikes me. The biggest problem with that is you will be ill-prepared when trouble and strife comes your way. And let me pause here and remind us of why we're in this series in the first place. Things are changing. Our culture is changing. We are living in an increasingly hostile world, hostile toward Christians. It's not like tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's suddenly going to get better. The Bible teaches it's progressive and it will get worse. And the pressure on you and I to cave to the culture will get worse and worse as time goes on. But the question is if we're, if we're ready to live in that environment, we're living in it now, or maybe it's just day by day. Maybe you've been in it a while at work or at school or in your friendships. There's pressure against you as a Christian. How you respond to that starts with who you are and whether or not you apply these priorities consistently and regularly to your walk with Christ as a Christian. Look at this with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Verse 11, Peter says, Dear friends, he's writing to those Christians that have been displaced from persecution. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul." Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. This is his pivot point. After this, he's going to, we'll see in the weeks ahead, he's going to start talking about how you live in the world and apply the word of God and apply your walk with Christ. But he says right now, before we go any further, I need to talk about your priorities. He refers to these displaced believers as dear friends. Uh, The phrase is literally, my beloved. He speaks from the heart of a pastor. Even though I may not have met you, even though we're far away from one another, we have in common this walk with Christ. You are my siblings in Christ. And I want to help you in your walk with Christ, not because it's my duty, but because I love you. You're my beloved in Christ. But then he says, make no mistake, it's because I love you that I've got to be pointed here. I've got to be specific. I urge you. The term means exhort you. It's a a level of sharpness above encouraging someone. It's saying you must pay attention and there's an urgency in the matter that I'm going to discuss with you. he's already reminded them they are the church, so now he reminds them they are the church in exile, strangers in exile, and exiles in a a foreign land. He refers to them again. Uh, One of his favorite terms for talking to these Christians, they are strangers and they are exiles. It's actually two different terms. Now, the first one, strangers, means that you're residents in a new place, and exiles means that you're just passing through, you're sojourners. But they go together because believers, listen, whether or not we have taken up residence in a new place to live out our walk with Christ or whether we are on this physical journey, whether we're sojourners in this world, we are all together exiles right now. If you're a believer in Christ, spiritually speaking, you are an exile in this land. You are on mission for Christ. You're not home yet. And that phrase has constantly that dual meaning. For every believer in Christ, who lives against the culture and by nature your walk with Christ is counterculture. Uh, let me put it another way beware if suddenly your walk with Christ sinks easily with everything going on in culture. It shouldn't. If you're faithful to Christ in your walk with Christ, your walk with Christ is by its very nature counterculture. And the farther the culture gets from Christ, the more that will be obvious to you and to everyone else. We are strangers in this land. It's not what it used to be, (laughs) and more and more so it won't be what it used to be. But even without that, even if this nation, if this country, if this world, we're always sympathetic to Christians and what we believe, this is still not our home. If you're a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, you are not home yet. You're on mission for the King, for the great I Am, in the duration of the time that you have here. So Peter says, let's pause here just a minute and let's take a hard look at these priorities. Let's make sure you are ready to live for Christ in this world. So first he says, pay attention to your personal battle. Your personal battle. Pay attention to your personal battle, Peter Peter says. I urge you as strangers and exiles, listen to this, to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. First, he says, uh, pay attention to what you you don't do. Well, let's look at that first. This is what you don't do. This is what you avoid. The word translated abstain means to stay distant from or avoid altogether. And, And what he says is to abstain from, to stay distant from those sinful desires in your life. Notice he takes for granted, believer, that... Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you, have, you don't have temptation in your life. You do. I do. We have temptation in our lives. We're still living in the flesh in a fallen world. And so the flesh, with Satan's encouragement, brings along those desires that are inherently sinful. It's not what God wants you to do. Another way to translate that is the sinful flesh. The flesh itself is, is the embodiment of your sinful nature, but it's still your nature that matters. It's those desires that matter. And Peter says, you need to understand this is a war. He uses military language, and one of the words he uses gives us our English words, strategy. It's a military objective for sin to take you down. Sin wants to get into your life and build a beachhead there to wear you down so your walk with Christ will be useless in this world. And when you don't pay attention to that, when you say, well, you know, it won't matter if I do this. I'll just do this once. It won't matter if I do that. I'll just do that once. You know, sin, by nature, creeps. Doesn't it? By nature, it creeps. Think about this a minute. If you, if you were at war, and the enemy is clear, and there's a lot of demarcation. And one soldier from the enemy line comes up to the line of demarcation and says, Hey, you mind if I come in? It's just me. It'll be all right. The other guys, they're going to stay back. I'm just going to come over. Get to know me. If you get to know me, you might actually like my brother. The other guys in my platoon, you might actually like my sergeant. They'll come over tomorrow. We'll have a barbecue. Peter says you need to think of sin that way. Not just sin itself, but sinful desires. The very idea that that creeps into your head, that I'd like to do that. And you know it's against the word of God. It's what you see on the internet, what you watch on television. It's who you talk to. It's what you incorporate into your life, into your body, into your mind. It's that desire that you know is sinful. He says, stay away from it. Stay back, keep distant, avoid it at all costs. Not only is this about what not to do, the, to, to fight that battle, that personal battle, notice it's, it's an interior battle. Uh, the sinful desire wages war against your soul. In this, in this phrase, the term translated soul doesn't mean just your personal self, which in a lot of the Bible is referring to yourself. Your personal self. Here the word translated soul refers to your whole person. The way God created you. Because God created you body, soul, and spirit. He created you a person. So what Peter's saying is if if you don't abstain from those sinful desires, if you don't keep them out, avoid them as they war against you, it will bring your whole person down. The target of sin is you. And it starts with destroying your walk with Christ by attacking your righteousness and your sinful self. And and right now, I'll pause a minute, because I know God speaks to us in a situation like this. Here's how God works. And let's admit, we'd rather he didn't work this way. He's talking to us. Some of you in this room, some of you at home, he's talking to you. He's letting you know what sinful desires you have caved to. Well, you're not abstaining. You know you should. But you'll also notice by nature the command means we have a choice. Yeah. You and I, we have a choice what we do with those sinful desires. So Peter says build that beachhead. Work against it because if you don't, if sinful desires, you let them in, they take you down, it will ruin your walk with Christ. Pay attention to that first. Uh, A man named Jeffrey Cribb, from 2015 to 2022, Mr. Cribb received the most speeding tickets in the history of Chicago. 51 speeding tickets from 2015 to 2022. Every single time he went to court for the speeding ticket, and every single time he told the judge what had happened. So so he could get off. What's interesting is 44 out of the 51 times he gave almost the exact same excuse and it always started this way. Me and my girlfriend broke up and she took my car. Or me and my girlfriend broke up and she stole my car or me and my girlfriend broke up and I had to chase after her and, and you kind of think he'd get a different girlfriend but you know. 44 times he blamed it on the circumstances, and his girlfriend breaking up with him. Well, judges get tuned in now and then. So Mr. Cribb has federal charges against him of fraud and perjury and several other charges for lying to the court. Oh, and I probably should mention what Jeffrey Cribb does for a living. He's a Chicago police officer. On the outside, he had sworn to conduct himself in public according to the law. He had sworn on the outside, he had committed himself to taking care of the people of Chicago to protect, to serve in Chicago. On the inside, he was corrupt, he was a liar, and he was consistently giving in to that temptation. See, on the outside, the Christian may look good. Nobody else may know what's going on in your life. But listen, you do, and God does. And if he's speaking to you right now, you know it. And if he's saying the first priority you've got to deal with is that you are not avoiding that temptation, that sinful desire. So Peter says the first priority is consistently and regularly assess your spiritual life are you letting spiritual uh, sin into your life? Are you Are letting sinful desires into your life? If not, deal with that with God. The good news is God is a forgiving God. First John, the apostle John tells us he is righteous, good and righteous to forgive us. He's faithful if you'll confess your sin to him. The second priority then, Peter says, is uh, to pay attention to your public life. Your public life. Once you pay attention to what's going on in here, And in your mind, he said, then then pay attention to your public life. Peter says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good work. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Again, this is your choice. This is my choice, how we behave in public. Peter has elevated the Christian walk for Jews and, and non-Jews of his day. The term Gentile in his day referred to non-Jews. But he's expanded that. He's referring now to non-Christians because all saved in Christ are the people of God. So he wraps up all believers as the people of God, the church of God, and all unbelievers as Gentiles, that is, non-Christians. The term literally means uh, ethnic, ethnic groups or uh, the nations. Uh, but he's using that intentionally because he's reminding the people of God they belong to God. You serve God in this culture. And this is a ca- and your, your lifestyle in Christ is counterculture to what the non-Christians believe and how they will behave. So w- when, you, when you butt heads with the non-Christian it's important that you conduct yourself the term is, means, what it sounds like, behave yourself And do so honorably. The term translated honorably means excellent or with good works. It's the idea that very simply this. You have a choice on how you respond. You have a choice on how you behave. And when you and I respond, when we behave in the culture around us, we are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should conduct ourselves in a manner that represents him. And our responses should be honorable. Uh, The word also refers to good and ethical from God's point of view. In the ancient world, in the the Greek and Roman Empire, uh, even the philosophers taught goodness. Good was a virtue. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 lists some of these virtues, but he draws them into the Christian life. Uh, to think of. He says, think on these things, whatever is good, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is righteous. Remember that? And he's reflecting what the philosophers and the teachers of the time all agreed on. Virtue of goodness is a virtue for everyone. Everyone should be a good person. But here was the problem. How do you define what it means to be good? How do you define it? I mean, you know, Plato the philosopher might define it one way and and another philosopher might define it another way, and, and maybe Cicero or Socrates would define it other ways. How do you define what's good? That's when God comes along and God says, I define what's good. I define what's excellent and honorable. God, by his nature, lets us know he is the benchmark, and we behave like Christ should beha- would behave toward the people around us. And when we do that, when we do that, it honors God. So Peter says, no matter what happens, this is what he means, no matter what happens, conduct yourself honorably. Now this does not mean we permit people to get away with anything they want to do to Christians, especially if the Constitution or laws are already in place to protect us. And the Apostle Paul himself in the book of Acts gives precedent for this. He would not let someone do something illegal to him in one very particular case, the Apostle Paul is arrested and he's going to be flogged. that is, he's going to be beaten severely, and he stops the one who's going to flog him, to whip him, and he says, "Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen?" which Paul was. It was not legal. In fact, it was so illegal <laughs> that the, 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 the soldier stopped. And he said, are you a citizen? He said, yes, I am. I'm a Roman citizen. And the soldier said, to clarify, he said, well, I purchased my citizenship. How did you get yours? And Paul said, I was born a Roman citizen. Making the law step in for him. Uh, The point being, behaving honorably doesn't mean always behaving passively. What it means is you behave under God's goodness. You reflect God's goodness, God's ethics. You are honorable to people around you. Uh, This is particularly significant uh, in a culture where we might sometimes be slandered, we might sometimes, and and, and wrongly so, might be wrongly accused of things. In the first century, Christians were consistently wrongly accused of things because people didn't understand Christianity, and it's not a whole lot better today. (laughs) In the first century, the Christians were actually accused of incest. You know why? Because they talked about loving their brothers and sisters. And people didn't understand that. Other religions didn't talk that way. Did you know in the 1st century Christians were accused of cannibalism? You know why? Because they got together and held love feasts where they drank the blood and ate the body of Christ. Do you know in the 1st century Christians Christians were accused of being atheists. Did you know that? You know why? Because they took all their household idols and threw them out. Christians did not have household idols. The Jews didn't either, but the Romans and Greeks, well, they understood the Jews. They've got the Ten Commandments, they've got the history of work, but these Christians come along and they're saved out of pagan temples and they're they're saved out of the Roman Empire and many of them are not Jews to start with and all of a sudden they're cleansing their houses of these pagan idols. Well, they've succumbed to atheism. Peter says, respond honorably to those accusations. Not much different in our time. People just don't understand us or they don't understand the Bible. We stand up and we speak for the Word of God and we say the Bible consistently and always teaches that homosexual behavior is a sin. There's no give and take in Scripture about that. It's just a fact. But we're called homophobic. Because we say what the Bible says. We stand up and we say the truth. The Bible consistently and regularly teaches that all human beings are born male and female and gender matches biology. Because that's how God designed you. That means the healthiest way for you to live your life is to align with God's design. And we're called transphobic. We are maligned because we stand up and say, as the Bible does consistently throughout the Bible, we are taught that the only way to know God and have a relationship with Him is to start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And we are maligned and said, people say, that we hate other people. No, we don't. We love people. We want them to know Christ. We want you to know Christ. How do you respond to that? Peter tells you, respond honorably, ethically. Respond in in, in a way that's good and draws people to God. And sometimes you may be wrongly accused of things you didn't do just because you're a Christian. It's not about standing up for yourself. It's about how you do it. And make sure when you do it, you are representing God. Conduct yourself honorably among those who do not understand what you believe because they will slander you as a wrongdoer as an evildoer just because they don't understand what you believe so the first priority is to it's your personal battle wage that battle against sin in your own life so you are clear and clean and healthy spiritually and ready to serve Christ to follow Christ the second priority is Is your public life. Make sure you are serving Christ honorably, responding well as God would have you when people come against you. And your third priority is trust in and pay attention to God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan. Always remember. When you're under pressure, when you're having a hard time, when people come against you, malign you, wrongly accuse you, remember that God is in charge. There is a bigger plan underway. And you can trust God in your relationships. You can trust God with what's going on right now in your life. And maybe you've got someone at work, at school, or a neighbor, someone in your life, maybe even your family, that presses against you just because you're a Christian. Remember the bigger picture. Respond with God's honor in a good way and trust God's perfect plan. God knows what he's doing. Here's how Peter phrases that. Peter says, you you respond honorably so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. They might slander you as evildoers, but they cannot deny that you are an honorable, ethical, good person. You are practicing good works that God has given you to practice. And Peter says, you will be, God will be glorified, and they will glorify God on the day that he visits. What does he mean by that? Uh, Well, he means that there's just no way around it, that when people see you, the way you behave, when you behave honorably, when you behave the way God wants you to, when you respond that way, there's just no way around it. They've got to look at your life and say, well, you know what? That's different. That's different. He's different. She's different. I can't get them riled up. I can't make them angry. And they're not, they're not protesting in the village of tar and torches. And they say, what are you about? And you say, well, here's the thing. Jesus changed me. And I've got the long look in mind. My God is always good, and he's got a plan, and he knows what he's doing. Peter says, let them see your good works. Wow. You know, our tendency, like anybody else, when we're maligned, especially falsely accused, our tendency is to, to bow up and get angry and, and defend ourselves. And Peter says, well, really, your good works should speak for themselves. If you're out there conducting yourself as a believer, and by good works, he means investing in the culture, doing good things. You know, if there's one thing that's absolutely true, that even the most secular non-Christian people on planet Earth, there's one thing they cannot deny, deny is that Christians are good for culture. Letting Christians be Christians is the best thing that culture can do. Taking care of people. We're, we're the reason that there's a, a nursing profession. We're the reason that most of the hospitals exist. Most of the major universities were started. Christians are good for culture. Just let them be Christians. And Peter reflects on that. He says, you just be who God wants you to be and let them see your good works. And even if they want to malign you, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're going to glorify God. I love this, on the day that he visits. And what does that mean? Well, actually, it's, it's coupling together two things. The first thing it means is when you're standing for Jesus and living your life for the Lord and you don't let all, all that other stuff press against you and, and don't let sin get into your life, you know what that means? It means God shows up. Think of it as the day he visits. God shows up because you're being faithful to him. And he'll be in that relationship and he'll be in that mix. And always remember when people are angry with you, especially non-believers, you know why they get angry with you? It's not you. It's Jesus they're mad at. But God is faithful and he will show up. And then the second meaning coupled with that is the bigger picture of God's perfect plan that one day, someday, he's going to come back. And when he does, even those who malign you the most will say, you know what, he was right, she was right. And they'll have no choice but to glorify God for who God is. I wonder where Peter got this teaching. You You remember Peter walked with Christ on earth for three and a half years. Remember early on the Sermon on the Mount? Peter and all the apostles are sitting around and there's a a mass of people around them listening and, and Peter hears Jesus say, let your light so shine before others that they will see your good works and glorify your heavenly Father. Now Peter's on the end of his life and he speaks from experience. Live that way and people will see God working through you and glorify your heavenly Father. Can't help but do it. So here's what we got to do. We've got to let God show you. How are your priorities doing? Especially that inner life where it starts. Uh, how are you doing in that, that, that battle with sin, those sinful desires? Not doing real well? Well, confess that to Him, and he'll, he'll forgive you, cleanse you, help you with that. What about the way you conduct yourself in difficult relationships? Are you conducting yourself with honor and excellence as God what have you do? Remember, you're responsible to Him. And maybe you're struggling with what's going on in your life. Well, take a long look. Remember, God has a perfect plan. And He shows up in favor of those who trust Him and who follow Christ. Take a spiritual inventory and see how you're doing. Uh, there's a new product on the market called the Mayo Shirt. Uh, it's, the Mayo Shirt is for folks who have muscle damage in their arms. Uh, whether it's from disease or from accident or incident or injury, but they have muscle damage in their arms. And what the MyoShirt is, is basically a kind of a vest with a computer pack and a battery pack and an attachment on the bicep. And it strengthens weak muscles. That's what it does. It has an algorithm in there. Before, we all even knew what AI was. These folks were developing AI and algorithms uh, that connect with a person using the MyoShirt and actually strengthen it, sometimes three times as strong as that muscle was prior to them wearing the Mayo shirt. Your spiritual strength, if, if you try to rely just on yourself, you're just going to get weaker. That's just how it works. If you try, to, you try to stand on your own, you try to live on your own, you try to fight sin on your own, it doesn't work that way. That's why God has given you the word of God, given you a relationship with him. That's why God has called you out and said, make these decisions because he said, I will show up. I will strengthen you. I will be with you. Remember, we heard it at the beginning of the service. Who is God? He's your refuge. He's your strength. He's your ever-present help in times of trouble. And he's very personal. And he loves you. He knows what you're going through, but you can't do it on your own, can you? You need him, don't you? I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and then I want to invite you to respond. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior or in this room, you're at home, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith out loud that I would encourage you to pray in your heart to the Lord this morning to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, to follow Christ if you've never made that step of faith before. Believers in here and at home, God's been speaking to you. He's been Showing you in your life. If you're losing that battle. Or maybe you're not even paying attention to these priorities. I'm going to pray for you as well. Maybe there's a personal need or struggle in your life. That you would lift up to the Lord this morning. I'll pray for you as well. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father in this place God. There are those and at home. Christians. We know we're believers. Going through trial and struggle and difficult times Father. We have not been faithful to you God. And we're trying to handle all these things on our own. Father, forgive us for that. And this morning, with everyone who is praying this prayer in faith, we give to you that struggle. We plead, God, for your forgiveness. We ask, God, you would strengthen us for what lies in front of us, for what lies ahead. Help us with whatever we're struggling through, God. And, God, for all of us, I ask your forgiveness if we've not paid attention to these priorities. And, God, especially for that Christian here or at home, Father, who has let sinful desires build a beachhead in their lives, God, who thought it'd be okay to do it once, to do it twice, and, and now we're caught up in it. God, forgive us for that. Cleanse us. Fill us with your Spirit. Father, help us to redirect our lives to get these priorities back on track. Father, our desire is that we would keep our eyes on your perfect plan, that our lives... And our works for you would glorify you, God. That people would see you at work in our lives, God. And not just what we can do, but what you do through us. So, Father, maybe in this house or at home, God, there's, there's one or two who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And they realize today's the day to give their lives to Christ, to commit to following Christ. And with them, I would pray this prayer of faith that they would pray it in their hearts. Dear Lord Jesus, I know, I know that I am a sinner. I've tried to be good, but I know that I'm a sinner. And I cannot save myself. I can't change me. But you can. And Jesus, I know, I believe you died on the cross for me, and you're alive today. So by faith, Jesus, I ask that you would cleanse me of my sin, forgive me of my sin, And from this point forward, I commit to follow Christ. I repent of that sin, and I commit to follow Christ today. For all of us, God, I pray today would be a turning point, very much like the turning point in Peter's letter. Today would be a turning point for us when we get our priorities straight so we are ready to follow Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.